Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi and welcome to Series 5, Episode 6. Today I'm talking to Primary Math Specialist Lisa about her experience with reading for CPD purposes and how we can transfer ideas across different teaching contexts. Hi, so today I'm here talking to Lisa and rather than introduce Lisa, I'm going to let her do it herself. So tell us, who are you please, Lisa? Uh, Hi Rebecca, hi everyone. Um, So my name is Lisa Coe um, and I am currently a maths lead for the Inspiration Trust which is a trust of schools in the east so uh, Norfolk and the surrounding area. Um, So what that means in kind of my day-to-day life is that I am in charge of primary maths um, across the schools that we have with us. So we are now up to seven schools we've literally just onboarded another school so we're up to seven schools so I oversee the maths in all seven of those schools so what that means in day-to-day life is that I am working on um, working with teachers I do a bit of teaching in the different schools um, and I'm writing a curriculum for those schools as well so yeah very busy job. Yeah definitely and that must be working with quite a large number of teachers right if it's seven schools and presumably all both key stages is it? Yeah absolutely yeah so some of the schools have nurseries as well which I will admit is not not my forte but yeah everywhere from nursery up to year six is kind of my ballpark. Wow yeah that's range isn't it? (laughs) So before we move on what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? Um, So for me page to practice is about being evidence informed in order to enhance our teaching practice. So obviously, I come at this with very much a primary teaching lens, but also a primary maths lens. So I'm a trained primary teacher um, who now specialises just in maths. Um, And I think it's about using the reading very carefully, um, which I'm going to kind of come on to, to think about how we we really promote good teaching of primary maths in our schools to our wonderful pupils. Um, and I also think it's around being critical. So I like the phrase, and I've stolen it from someone, um, everything works somewhere. So I I do tend to try and read when I'm reading or when I'm promoting something to read to people. I do really think about that phrase, everything works somewhere, and think about how what I'm reading can apply to me personally, or it might be that it applies to one of the schools or one of the teachers, but it won't necessarily translate to every school that I work with. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Moving into our middle section then. So actually, before I ask you what you've come to speak about, I just want to ask you actually, what led you to specialising in in maths? Because you don't always hear people having those opportunities to do that. I know within primary often people lead a subject, but that's not necessarily 
because they've got a passion in it. I know sometimes that's a needs must, isn't it? I'm, I'm not in primary myself, so tell me if I'm wrong. But what led you down that path? No, you're absolutely right, Rebecca. I think, you know, we we do as primary teachers, we, we're a kind of jack of all trades. Um, and I think, um, to be honest, my maths journey was was accidental. Um, so I've got an English degree um, and I went into primary teaching with a love of English and a love of grammar. Um, and when I started my my teaching career um my head teacher at the time puts me in the maths team so in our primary school we had a subject leader um and then each leader was assigned a couple of kind of minions um so early career teachers or teaching assistants who would be part of that team so I was on the maths team and as a newly qualified teacher I was like okay I'll, I'll do as I'm told um and I grew to love it um so Fast forward six years, um, I'd been kind of working with the maths lead uh, quite closely. I'd kind of developed my knowledge a little bit, um, but very much developed my passion for maths. Um, And then I left sort of the traditional teaching pathway to go and work for ARC's Mathematics Mastery Programme. So I spent four years there where I essentially talked about maths all day, every day (laughs) for four years. Um, So, yeah, I think for me, it's around... Maths is something where it's, I mean, I'm biased, but it's one of those subjects where once a child understands and has that light bulb moment, it is just the best thing in the world. And I do think that, um, you know, in, in primary, we do have, it's developing, but we do have a sort of subject lack a lack of subject knowledge for some teachers in maths in particular. And so it's just something I became really passionate about leading and promoting and so yeah my my accidental will put you in the last team has led to me being now uh, uh, an expert in in my field which is really exciting I just think that's great because actually often we end up in places that we didn't even expect and to have done a degree in a completely different subject and then just by kind of chance end up in maths and go actually you know what I find this really interesting and and have the opportunity to pursue that any early career teachers listening to go you know oh I've done something that I don't think is going to be that useful to me now but to go oh I can actually channel myself in a different direction later if that's what works I think that's a it's a really good message for for people to hear. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, for, for early career teachers or anyone in their career, I think it is about just seizing those opportunities because that's all it was for me. It was a case of when I decided that I didn't quite want to do sort of full-time class teaching, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I saw this job opportunity for mathematics mastery and thought, oh, that sounds fun. Um, and I went for it, you know, and, and if it wasn't for that and, and the wonderful opportunities I had there, I wouldn't be leading maths across the trust. And I've got some really other exciting opportunities coming up. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's very much about seizing those opportunities and seeking them out. Great. So to kind of go in the direction that I think we're, we're wanting to talk about, um, what can you, can you talk about in terms of reading related to primary maths? Where What, what made you say, yeah, I'd quite like to come on from Page to Practice to talk about this? Um, so I, I started reading for education purposes very much when I joined Mathematics Mastery. So I'll quite happily admit that in my first few years of teaching, I didn't really read a lot. And I'm sure you hear that a lot, Rebecca. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I think that there is a lot of pressure um, to to just teach and to, to sort of get to know your craft. 
Um, so I, my very first book um, that I read, like properly engaged with, um, was Craig Barton's How I Wish I Taught Maths. And it's that and kind of what followed really got me thinking about primary maths specifically. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, and I'm sorry if I'm teaching everyone some things they know, but Craig Barton is a wonderful man, wonderful human being. Um, He is a secondary maths teacher um, who has released a couple of books now. He's got various websites. He's spoken at a lot of things. Um, He and his ideas are very popular. And what I'm about to say is there is nothing wrong with what he's saying. I loved his book. I got a huge amount out of it. But part of the problem with his work and subsequent works that you see today is that they are often very secondary focused. And so I kind of wanted to come and talk to you and kind of the people who who are listening to this to talk about how we can take those ideas that are kind of secondary based and really think about how we can make those work for a primary uh, classroom. So, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to, to sort of talk about, I suppose. Well, that's great because there are so many books out there, aren't there? But you're right, a lot of it can be very secondary focused. And, and it's good to know that actually that doesn't mean it's of no use to, to people in other contexts. I think I think we're getting better at it now at knowing that you can read a book by a history teacher and work out how it could fit with English or work read a book about secondary maths and work out how to use it in primary. But um it's good to know that it can be done and people are thinking about doing that. So do, do you want to start? Is there something particular that you've taken that you think, oh that's a really good example? Um, yeah, so to sort of carry on with the, the Craig Barton theme temporarily, um, so he talked about a lot, a huge number of ideas and how I wish I taught maths. So what I particularly loved about that book and why I find it so accessible is that he took a lot of research um, and he mentioned so many people uh Willingham springs to mind um immediately so Daniel Willingham who when I read Craig Barton's book I'd never heard of Daniel Willingham um so he wrote um uh, various things um including why don't students like school um various other things and so Craig Barton kind of took all that research and talked about it in a way that was very accessible and then talked about well okay I know that Willingham, I know that, you know, this person says this about education, this person talks about long-term memory, this person talks about cognitive load, etc. What what can I do or what should I be doing in my maths classroom? And for me, those ideas, and there were were lots of them, um, those ideas were brilliant, but again, they were very secondary focused. So for example, he talks about this idea of silent teacher. Now, Silent teacher is is much more complex than I'm about to make it sound, but essentially the idea is that when you are um, modelling a procedure in math, so say for example you're going to model the procedure of long multiplication to a child, you model that entire process in silence. Um, you model it. You you know you kind of you really kind of over egg what you're doing and kind of really emphasise certain things, but you do not say a word. And the idea around that is all linked to the idea of cognitive load and the idea of actually, you know, that dual pathway, you know, that we can't really listen and watch someone write at the same time and all of that stuff. So really, really good science behind it. 
Um, but the silent teacher idea, and I have tried it out in various classrooms, um, for me, doesn't work at all in primary. Um, even I've tried it with, with year sixes sort of at the end of summer term and they they just find it really challenging. And so it's part it's that idea of, I suppose, his book and others take this wonderful science and what we know about good education, but then the ideas that come out of that work for Craig Barton and everything works somewhere. I'm sure some of my primary colleagues have had wonderful success with, with silent teacher um, or with variation theory in the way that Craig Barton shows it. Um, but for me, none of those ideas were working. Um, so all of that kind of got me thinking about, well, what what is it that we're doing in primary how can we learn from our secondary colleagues and what can we kind of apply to primary? Um, so I suppose I started then looking at his ideas and looking at the science behind it and the understanding behind it. So Craig's was a springboard for me um, to go and read Willingham, to go and read um, Bush and Watson, who talked about the science of learning um, and lots and lots of other things. Basically, I read his his bibliography at the end and went, I'm going to read all of those books. <laughs> and and from that, kind of looked at how we could we could think about the the challenges that we face in primary, um, because you know the, the the some of the things that he and others say just aren't going to work for us in primary. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, it does. It does, and it's. Have you got kind of, I don't know, is there a process you go through of working out or how can I adapt this particular thing? Do you tend to take an idea and change bits of it or do you kind of throw it out the window and start again? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question. And I think it it depends. So um, if I give you a couple of examples of that, it's okay. We stick with silent teachers to start with. Um, I found that it worked if we broke it down into really tiny, tiny steps. So it worked if rather than doing a whole process, we kind of did a tiny bit and then stopped and talked about it. And then we did a tiny bit more and then stopped and talked about it, which isn't really, I mean, that just looks like the general kind of the way that I would model something anyway. Um, but perhaps a better example and um, someone else that I'm going to name check a lot is um, Pete Mattock. So Peter Mattock, again, for anyone who doesn't know who Peter Mattock is, um, he is a another secondary maths teacher, uh, another wonderful human being who does great work um, across uh, mathematics. And he has written two books with a third coming out this year. Um, so he wrote Visible Maths and Conceptual Maths. Um, Visible Maths was first. Um, and again, his ideas in there, um, Visible Maths and Conceptual Maths do similar things. So they essentially take key ideas from mathematics um, and look at how they can be represented and how they can be taught in a way to ensure deep understanding of a subject. So I don't know what your uh, mathematics schooling was like, Rebecca, but if it was anything <laughs> like mine, we very much learned a procedure. We learned how to do something. Yeah, um, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most people have, have, you know, most people have a similar experience where, for example, long multiplication, you go onto the second row, you put a zero. Nobody really knows why we put a zero, but we were taught to do that. So Matic 
Matic's ideas again tried to try to look at how we can teach for understanding through different representations and his work in a way is more accessible for primary teachers because it starts at that very low starting point in the sense that mathematics whether you're doing addition or trigonometry or something you know beyond me at a level all starts from the same concepts that we teach in primary and so his ideas were kind of easier to add and adapt to my own um but again there were elements of of his work that just it just doesn't fit with with primary so he makes some connections between representations um that just my children again just me might work somewhere else my children just weren't seeing um so it can be really tricky so what I try and do is because of my role I'm really lucky that I get to influence a lot of teachers um so I recognize that all teachers um but more so I see primary teachers in particular I don't see them reading as much or engaging with as much research or educational books as my secondary counterparts now I don't know if you've had that interesting your with your podcast or whether everyone just reads all the time I don't know um I, I find I've got quite a secondary audience and I think that I have always attributed that to being from a secondary background myself and therefore that's where I've got the audience from but it could be that, that there's other reasons there that I've not really thought into before I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, and again, I can only speak from my experience, but, and my experience as a primary mathematician, um, but primary mathematicians in, in the kind of sense of, of where you become more expert than, than the ones who are incre- just incredibly enthusiastic and haven't necessarily got the depth of knowledge yet. We're, we're fewer on the ground. So there aren't as many sort of more expert primary mathematicians. And then there are secondary mathematicians. Um, if you look at books and people who write about about mathematics, you tend to see that they are secondary mathematicians. There are examples which I will I will mention make sure I mention. Um, but generally speaking, books and literature tend to be aimed at our older learners of mathematics rather than our younger learners. And I also think when it comes to subject specific stuff primary teachers as I mentioned earlier we are a jack of all trades and so actually trying to get a primary teacher to read something that can be quite deep that can be quite time consuming about one specific subject when they teach you know 13 different subjects can be really challenging like they 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 don't have time having been a class teacher it can be really challenging um and also I think that some teachers find it challenging when their subject knowledge isn't quite where it should be so for example in primary maths we do have teachers whose subject knowledge isn't as good as say as their English subject knowledge um and therefore I think there's a fear sometimes around reading or engaging with a book or a journal article because they're worried they're not going to understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it makes sense from um, from an MFL background. So knowing that, you know, a lot uh, often problems are that primary teachers don't always have the MFL or the French or the Spanish or the whatever expertise. So, yeah, a lot of that kind of chimes in with what you were saying there. 
Yeah, and I think, and there's there's that, and then if we kind of take the idea of CPD, which I know a lot of your your other people who you've recorded with have spoken about CPD generally, if you think about CPD in primary maths, so the maths hubs, um, which are run by the NCTM, are all over the country, um, and they do phenomenal work. They do amazing work in developing subject knowledge, um, expertise in mastery and all sorts of things. Um, but the challenge they have is that schools select teachers to go on those courses. And if a school's um, improvement plan or recent Ofsted or whatever is focused on reading or writing or science or whatever, then that is where the CPD is quite rightly focused. So if you take the maths hubs out of the equation and think about self-selecting CPD, so where teachers choose to read a book or listen to a podcast or go to a conference, again, primary maths specifically is, is a real kind of there's, there's not a huge amount going on in primary specific maths. So you have things like um, the Complete Mathematics Maths Confs, which are brilliant. And if any primary practitioners are, are listening, you should absolutely go because they're great. But until relatively recently, they were very, very secondary focused with only a few options that really hit primary. Um, if you think about podcasts, um, you've got Craig Barton's, again, amazing podcast, but that is usually focused on secondary um, or when it does reach down into primary. Again, I'm not always hearing a primary voice. Um, and you've got the wonderful Kieran Mackles podcast, Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, um, which, again, is, is great, but doesn't isn't always maths focused. So you've got all of these things going on. And I think we as a primary maths collective, we don't necessarily have those CPD options. And you might find that, I suppose, with MFL as well. There isn't necessarily a specific avenue for you to go down. Yeah, there's specific, there's some networks for it, but not always the the set specific route. Yeah. Yeah. And what is being done is is brilliant. And, you know, I, I can't thank people like the maths conf complete maths people enough because they are starting to represent primary people more I can't thank people like Pete Mattock enough who actually you know listen to and take on board the views of primary mathematicians before they write books and so on it's all great but if you're a kind of general class teacher who's teaching 13 subjects and you can't find the CPD easily and clearly that says this is for a primary mathematician then, then we have a, a, a kind of challenge there. Um, so what I do in my kind of role or whatever I'm doing really is um, I make sure that I, I'm i reading stuff and I'm thinking about things and then that appears in whatever it is that I'm doing. So for example, um, with the Inspiration Trust, um, I've developed their primary maths curriculum. So it's a bespoke curriculum that's written for the trust. And in it, I have made sure that I am influenced by people like Craig Barton. So there is elements of variation theory, which isn't his idea, but he, that's where I, I kind of was inspired to think about it from. Um, I've used ideas from uh, Chris McGrain, who wrote a wonderful book about mathematical tasks. And I've made sure that I've kind of distilled what he was saying about mathematical tasks and the importance of depth and variation and I've made sure I've kind of included elements of that in the curriculum 
And I've made sure that I thought about representations and teaching for understanding. So influenced by Mattock and also by Ed Southall, who wrote a brilliant book, um, and just made sure that those things are included in a curriculum. So where you've got a time poor teacher who might not be able to read all these things, they can still see those things in what they're doing, what they're teaching and what they're thinking about. That's such a the, the last observation there. The time poor teacher, and it's a phrase I've said time and time again. I feel recently, but what can we do for it? I actually started thinking earlier on when you were talking about, and it was ages ago now, adapting things from secondary into primary, and it got me thinking about you know we talk about these lethal mutations. How you start with a great idea from something, and the key elements are what we need, and over time things change and they've mutated into something that's not what it was in the first place and then as we've gone on this conversation thinking about you know you're passing this through to other teachers how can we try and prevent those lethal mutations when you're asking teachers across an entire trust to to implement these things that they've not necessarily read themselves and now you might not have the answer to that I totally get that it's, it's a <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge isn't it I think mm. I, th- I think it's an excellent question and I think it's a multifaceted answer um, and I'm not sure I have all the pieces yet so but I think part of it is around educating teachers where we can so a couple of examples of that so in the curriculum where I might use bar models for example for something specific um, I will there are kind of teacher notes that support that and so the hope is that a teacher will read that and I've tried to be of concise as possible I've not gone oh you know Pete Mattock says I've just gone these are really good use this um and I think so that's kind of the first part and I also think it's about making sure that in my role when I'm teaching that I am also embodying those things and showing showing off those things so I'm really lucky that when I get to teach I often get to team teach or support other teachers in their roles. I get to support the individual maths leads within a school as well. So each primary school has their own kind of maths lead. So supporting them and getting them on board is a really good thing uh, too. And I think outside of my role, I think I, this is going to sound arrogant and I apologize but no do it I'm sure it's not (laughs) I think I think people like me who are in I'm in a really really lucky position that I get to talk about what I love all the time and I get to do things like this and I've been really lucky um that I've done a couple of other podcasts that I've I speak at conferences occasionally and I think I kind of have a duty to talk about these things in a way that is accessible in a way that makes sense to to people and in a way that kind of makes sure that somebody who doesn't necessarily have the the deep subject knowledge that I do can kind of grasp and understand those concepts Um, and I think a lot of us in primary feel that way as well I know Kieran talks a lot about making things accessible and making those kind of more complex structures and things understood Um, I know when I worked for Mathematics Mastery we used to we used to read a lot of research and kind of distill that and and allow people when they came to induction training to to kind of hear it in a different way um and i think people like pete and like craig do things like that i think they um they really do 
make it accessible. That's not always the case in, with some people, but generally speaking, I think if you're going to put something out there, it needs to be in a way that is understood. Um, there are so many amazing um, sort of bloggers that come to mind as well. So Colin Foster and Bernie Westercott both do mathy things and they are so easy to read in the sense that they're not full of jargon. You know, there's somebody who is perhaps a complete novice when it comes to teaching primary maths could pick it up and understand it. And I think that's because we have a duty to do that. I think I think people who have the time to engage with reading should then be able to pass that on, which makes me feel terrible because I do have a blog that, <laughs> that is very lapsed. Um, so maybe I should start that up again. Maybe should, that should be my resolution from this conversation. <laughs> I think you're so right, though. And I think, you know, there are for, you know, numbers of reasons why people don't have the time to to engage with these things or don't have the ability to for whatever reason. So when you are engaged with it and you enjoy it and either because it's your job role or because it's not because you're someone who just happens to be engaged with it and interested in it, you're absolutely right. It's kind of our responsibility to then share that with other people because either that'll help them in their practice or it'll make them think oh yeah maybe I'll have a look at that next time and then it kind of spreads it that bit further doesn't it I think that's the culture we have to build with CPD Mm -hmm. it's the the way to go yeah absolutely and I think you know self-selecting CPD I know has its critics I know that some people would argue that actually we shouldn't be spending our Saturdays or our evenings engaging over the conference or reading a book. And, and I understand that. And actually, again, in some ways, I'm lucky that I, I, you know, I don't have children. I don't, you know, I don't have, I, I don't I have, I have free evenings. <laughs> you know, I can do things like that. But, but there is an argument, of course, that we shouldn't have to. And I do completely understand that. But for me personally, I think there is, scope to do that when you're interested in something and I think that's exactly what you've said it's about about engaging people and if we can engage people then that that's really good like if I can reach one person from this or from my blog or from a tweet that I put out if one person goes oh that's interesting I'll look into that then that that's made my day so yeah I think that's that's exactly what we've got to do you kind of drip feed it and it spreads doesn't it it spreads so Before we move into the final section, as far as I'm concerned, a couple of things. Is there anything that you came to talk about that we haven't had a chance to mention so far? Uh, No, no, I think we're... I've covered, I know we've got the next bit coming up, so I've got a list. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. In that case, before we move on, um, if anybody wants to connect with you to talk about primary maths or to talk about CPD and things you've spoken about today, where's the best place to, to link up with you? Uh, Twitter is the best place. So I am at L-C-E-L-S-I-E 2110. So L-C-2110. Um, and there's a link to my lapsed blog on there, which actually has, so essentially it's it's distilled reviews of educational books. Um, but I haven't updated it for a while, but there's a lot on there for anyone who is interested. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. Final section. I think I've finally settled on calling this my CPD library section because it's not just necessarily books if you've got other things, but it can just be books. So 
for anybody who hasn't heard this particular section before, I've got a list of categories uh, which participants have had in advance, so I'm not putting people on the spot. Um, and originally I thought this was going to be a quick fire round, and then I remembered I'm talking to teachers who like to give stories and reasons, and that was never going to work. So it's not quick fire, it's take take whatever time you need. And it could be a book, it could be a blog, podcast, whatever that you think fits into this category. So, are you ready? I am, yes. Let's go for it then. The first one, first got you into evidence-informed practice. So, I have already mentioned this, so I won't spend any more time talking about it, but it is Craig Barton's How I Wish I Taught Maths. So, that's springboarded everything, essentially. I tell you what, he's been quite a popular one. The previous episode that I recorded just a few days ago also <laughs> mentioned him. Uh, resonated with you the most? Um, so, this one is... Um, Joe Morgan's A Compendium of Mathematical Methods. So this is a full-on geek moment. Um, Joe Morgan, again, a wonderful secondary primary mathematician, uh, sorry, secondary mathematician. Um, She um, wrote a book that is essentially a collection of strategies and procedures for uh, different mathematical operations. So you've got your very straightforward addition, subtraction things, um, but then it goes into things that um, like thirds, which is something that I do not have an understanding of, which is fine. But what I loved about it and why it resonated with me is that essentially it's a collection of all the different ways that you could do something. So if you take multiplication, It looks at your standard kind of column method, but it also looks at grid method. It looks at something called Napier's bones, which involves diagonal lines um, and various other strategies. And it just really resonated with me because it is that idea of there are so many different ways to approach mathematics and we teach a certain set of methods. And it just made me really think about whether we're making good choices there and whether we should be exposing children to the wealth of ways you can do things. A text or podcast or something that challenged your views? Um, So this is uh, David Didow's Making Kids Cleverer. Um, And it challenged my views because, um, sorry, David Didow, but I had quite a negative impression of I I wasn't expecting to enjoy reading his book because at the time I think that my views with education with it like within education how I felt children should be taught and how I felt we should learn were very much at odds with him Um, and I read his book and I can't say that I agreed with everything but it really challenged me because I was reading it and kind of nodding along and surprising myself because I was nodding along. Um, So it's a really interesting look at how we can support children to learn in the best ways. And actually, it it really made me think about what I was doing in the classroom and thinking about whether I should tweak things in order to to improve that. So yeah. Great. I like that. I'm that's what I wanted when I had that challenge you category, that thing that's made you go, oh, hang on a minute what if and I think that's really important and actually if we're always reading stuff that we agree with and we know we're going to agree with we're not going to progress are we so I really think it's important to read books from different people and also you know a lot of mine are maths related things but a lot of them aren't and actually it is about for me it's about reading widely and really thinking thinking about it because if it makes you think then then I'm I'm learning something new so and I don't have to agree with the word of it I have read books where I've gone 
nope, not for me, but that's okay. Um, I think yeah. that's absolutely valid as well. Oh, it definitely is. Uh, the next one is had the biggest impact on your practice. Um, this is Tom Sherrington's The Learning Rainforest. So this came off the back of, this was perhaps the second big book that I read after reading uh, Craig Barton. And um, the thing that has um, the biggest impact was at the time, there was a big debate rolling around, probably on Twitter, let's be fair, <laughs> and nowhere else, you know what it's like, um, about yep. traditional versus progressive teaching. And yeah, I go, yeah. (laughs) The age old debate on Twitter, (laughs) indeed, yeah. That I had no idea of and, you know, didn't really. And I, you know, I, to be honest, I've changed the way I feel so many times and I don't really think I fit in a box. And um, the way he describes that, he kind of weighs in on it and he talks about how, you know, it's not really anywhere near as clear cut as what we think. And there's a whole load of kind of nuance to it. And he says a lot of other wonderful stuff as well, but it really made me think about the boxes that we put ourselves in as teachers. And actually, if you describe yourself as a traditional teacher, are you limiting yourself the opportunities to do something that would be considered progressive and and vice versa? You know, if you, if you're kind of, there's everything works somewhere and so are you then stopping yourself and yeah that was it's it's a really wonderful book it should be read by everybody I think that's a really good one I've, I've got that one as well um so the next question is and it, it, there may be an overlap because of what you just said at the end there but should be ECT or ITT required reading um so I found this really tricky actually because I think um as an ECT, like from a primary maths perspective, um, it's very much about subject knowledge. So um, if I can make an honourable mention, um, mm-hmm, of people like, um, so um, people like Derek Haylock, for example, who's written Mathematics Explained for Primary Teachers. I've no idea what edition it's on now because it was the book I read as an NQT um, or when I was training to teach. Um, things like that are superb for developing subject knowledge because I think for primary math specifically, until a new teacher has got some of that understanding of how mathematics works, they can't really engage with the kind of pedagogical side of it. Um, but generally for teaching, um, I've gone for Bush and Watson's The Science of Learning. So it essentially covers lots and lots of research ideas from everything to homework to cognitive load to everywhere in between and I think that to help a teacher understand where education is today and kind of the things that may or may not work in their classroom I think it's just it's so powerful and I think it's easy to read as well it's not difficult it's not like a challenging complicated read so that would be my choice and that's a really good choice it's really accessible book isn't it because of the way it's set out and I've got a copy of their new teaching and learning illuminated sat on my shelf and I'm hoping to have a chat with them soon because they do exactly what we're talking about here how do we get things from page into practice so um, you give me an opportunity to mention it (laughs) it's just so straightforward and it just I think it, it dispels some myths and ideas without being condescending because I think sometimes you can read someone's opinion on so say if you think about visual auditory and kinesthetic learning I'm, I'm gonna bring it up you know some people are so scathing about it and actually again it's more nuanced than that whereas I think they managed to kind of pick through 
the challenges and like you said those lethal mutations and actually tell you just just what's going on with the research what does the research say it's not saying you must do this or you must not do this this is just what the research says and I think that's really powerful for someone starting out in education yeah no I really like the uh, like that book um where am I up to inspired you um so this is um again I've mentioned him already this is Peter Mattox visible maths so um again if if you're a primary maths person it's worth having um it's nice to be able to dip in and out of um but it's it's just so inspiring in the way that it gets you to think about things so it really helped me to think about concepts um in a way that I hadn't before so for example rounding so rounding numbers if any primary maths people are listening they will be you know head in hands if I mention rounding because it's for whatever reason, teachers find it really challenging to teach. Um, and you'll see people on Twitter going, oh, it's rounding and everyone kind of commiserating with them. Um, and he just had this image that talked about essentially why when a number is five or more, you round up to the next multiple. And I was just like, I just gobsmacked because I'd never thought of it before. And it's such a simple thing. And there's lots of examples of this in his book. It's so simple. And there are pictures, which we like. Um, But it's just, it really allows you to kind of access something and think about something in a different way. Sounds like a bit of a light bulb moment there, you know, when you see something and think, and that's great, isn't it? When you see something, I've never thought of expressing it that way and that makes sense. And now I'm using that example for the rest of my career. (laughs) Um, So your most recent read. And that was also Peter Mattox. So that was his second book, which is Conceptual Maths. So Conceptual Maths takes the ideas from visible maths kind of on a step, I suppose, and it looks more at how how maths is connected and how how the ideas and kind of concepts can be taught for understanding. So really thinking about so visible maths kind of looked at the okay this is how it should look, and then conceptual maths is almost like this is why it should look like that. Um, and that's I mean it is a beast of a book you if you're getting it get it delivered straight to your school because it's really heavy um, but it is it's phenomenal it's it's really good I really enjoyed that as well we're nearly there the next one is your next read what's on the top of that to be read pile um, a lot um but um it's uh, if I could tell you one thing which is edited by Ed Southall so um, again secondary lovely mathematician um, so it's a collection of essays maybe an essays probably not the right a collection of very short chapters by a range of mathematicians looking at if if they could tell a maths teacher one thing about teaching maths, what would it be? So it's really eclectic. So it looks at like some people look at a kind of concept or idea like cognitive load, whereas other people just look at here is this one example or one puzzle that I think you should share with your with your students. Um, so I've kind of flicked through, but I haven't read it yet. So it's on the list. It's one of it sounds like one of those kinds of books that you can dip in and out of and flick through, and I think that. It's that kind of book that, again, makes reading a little more accessible to people who think they don't have the time or don't want to do it. Go, oh, read these few pages. And, yeah, another good one. 
I just want to say before we finish, I came into this conversation thinking, oh my goodness, primary maths, I've got no idea what this is at all. Like it's not in my area of expertise in the slightest. How's this conversation going to go? And yet more than 40 minutes later, we've just breezed through this conversation and I found it really interesting. So just a really big thank you for, for bringing that to us really. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. So those of you with good ears or good memories may well have realised that something didn't sound quite right at the end there and that we were one category short of finishing the CPD library round. Huge apologies to Lisa, I'm really not quite sure what's happened but for some reason I lost the last minute and a half of your side of the audio. Um, Hopefully it's not spoiled the episode too much for you and I'll try my best not to do that again in future. I hope you found that conversation as interesting as I did. It's great to get to talk to people from very different contexts to you. Maybe it'll encourage you to connect with a wider range of people. Regular listeners to the previous series of this podcast will recognise next week's voices. They've been on many, many episodes and it's great to finally have a whole conversation with them. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Most of you probably already know. And if not, just look forward to the conversation that we all have about book clubs. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>